welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this November 2012 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on digitizing your family history. And I've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you out. First, we'll stop by the Genealogy Insider blog and talk with managing editor Diane Haddad about what's new in the world of genealogy. And then in our top tips segment, writer Denise Levenick, also known as the family curator, will be here to help us tackle the challenge that we all face, digitizing and organizing our family history and old photos. She'll give us some tips from her new book, How to Archive Family Keepsakes. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, I'll be chatting with Family Tree Magazine's online editor, Tyler Moss, about a popular digital home for some of our photos and family history, Facebook. Then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Tyler's going to be back. He's going to be giving us some tips on digital photography, and those come from the Family Tree University class, Digital Photography Essentials. And finally, we will check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who's going to have some excellent resources for us. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy News with Diane Haddad. Well, as always, let's kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Well, Diane, we are talking in this episode about digitizing your family history. And of course, just having online digital records is so much a part of the whole process. Tell us there has been some big news this October of 2012. There has. Um, it's been rumored for a few months, but now it's actually happened that Ancestry.com has found a buyer in a private equity firm called Permira. Right. And this is a European company, right? It is. They're um, based out of London. And um, it's also been rumored that Ancestry.com was going to move their headquarters overseas. And it turns out that, um, at least according to current reports, that's not going to happen. They'll stay headquartered in Provo, Utah, and they'll just have their locations overseas in different locations in different areas. Right. So it sounds like they really are looking at hitting the digital market in a very global way. Right. Um, apparently, this um, private equity firm has investments in technology companies, and it's a global company. So um, Ancestry.com is saying it's a good fit for their needs because they want to expand globally. And also, they want to develop um, their current core content areas. Right. And of course, not too long ago, we talked about this, I think, in the last episode, that they just acquired a thousand memories. So they've still been in that process of acquiring. And of course, thousand memories is a site very focused on um, your digital content of your own photographs, right? Right. So hopefully some of this new injection of funds will go towards incorporating that kind of user experience as far as making it easier and very convenient for people to put their content online, their photos and their digitized records and so forth. Now, of course, one of the things about Ancestry is they've been a public company. This uh -huh. changes things. Is that right? Yes, um, they were private, and then they went public, and that was big news. <laughs> and this will bring them private again. Of course, it still has to be approved by a majority of the stockholders. Right. And, of course, 
the real stockholders in, in the in uh, a company like Ancestry, of course, there are all of the millions of people who upload their digital content. How do you feel about the the possibility of, of things changing? That's usually people's first concern is, what is this going to mean to my tree and all my documents? Right, right of course. And so far, they're saying that um, there's not going to be any change as far as their normal day-to-day operation. What they're saying is that, you know, they're just going to be improving the user experience and making it better. So, um, So that's what you know, what everybody's hoping for. Yeah, and you hope that that's what that infusion of capital will do for them. Boy, constantly changing times. And yeah. um, <laughs> it's the, the place to stay up to speed on all of it is, of course, the Genealogy Insider blog. Diane is in there posting, although you're going to be taking a bit of a break. We're not going to probably have you on the show next month, are we? Right. I will be going on maternity leave. Starting probably around November 7th, but of course you don't really know when these things could happen. So that's very excited. Um, we're very excited. We're having a little girl. So, um, I'll be back sometime in January. Oh, so now you'll have your little boy and your little girl on your growing family tree. Congratulations. We're all so, so happy for you. Thanks so much. And, uh, we'll talk to you when we get back. Sounds good. When it comes to digitizing your family history, scanning old photographs is, of course, one of the first things that comes to mind. In today's top tip segment, the family curator, Denise May Levenick, is here to give us some scanning advice from her new book. It's called How to Archive Family Keepsakes, Learn How to Preserve Family Photos, Memorabilia, and Genealogy Records. Welcome to the show, Denise. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much. It's nice to talk with you. Well, Denise, I know that your book covers um, really the entire archiving process. It's it's amazing how much you cover there. Um, and then, of course, that also includes scanning photographs, which is kind of our focus today. And I know that a lot of people who are listening, they, they get really nervous about getting started on scanning photographs because they're afraid that, you know, they're going to invest a lot of time up front just to find out they're not using the right resolution, they didn't save it as the right kind of file type. Can you bring some clarity to all that confusion for us? Well, I sympathize with that situation because that's where I was uh, quite a few years ago when I started working with my grandmother's collection. What I found was I, I did a lot of research with archives and museums, and the advice that they give is to look for an archival format, something that will last a long time. That way, the work that we put into all that scanning is preserved. We only have to do it once. And the format they recommend is the TIFF, T-I-F-F, for, file format. And this is the digital file that our photograph is being scanned at, correct? This is what's getting saved on our hard drive. That's right. The TIFF file. And it is a large file. Right. So a lot of times people don't, they really hesitate Mm -hmm. to use that format. It takes a lot of space and it takes a little longer to scan. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest fears is you're going to end up with just this huge, you know, your hard drive just gets stuffed with all these large files. And yet, of course, that's a big advantage to have the TIFF because it's not going to have any loss, right? It it stays in pristine condition no matter what you do to it. That's right. It's preserved. And even if you open and close and save it multiple times, the original image remains intact. Now, I've found a way kind of to work around this enormous file size. 
You know, the museums don't have, well, maybe they do have a lot of room, but on their, their servers, but they have to be practical. I was, I started by scanning things at 1200 DPI and 2400. If you can imagine. <laughs> That's huge. It was huge. <laughs> it was huge. It's not necessary. Museums recommend that, you know, they need an across the board um, system they can recommend to the interns and the people that are there. They say, do a photo at 600 DPI. Right. So that's about half the size that you first started that at. That is half the size. And it is, it goes much quicker and it gives you a very good quality scan. Now, if you're working with something really small, like maybe a, a, an old school picture, you know, those tiny little thumbnail size prints, you could pump it up then to a higher resolution. But for your everyday scanning a picture, I recommend 600 DPI, just like the museums and archives do. Oh, that's great advice. Now, would there ever be a time where a JPEG file, um, which is a lossy file, is there ever a time where that might be more suitable? Well, of course, we all have occasions where we that's all we have is a JPEG file. We use a digital camera and we snap something. Or maybe you have that little FlipPal mobile scanner. They only scan in, J, in JPEG images. Right. So when you come home with those JPEGs, you can do two things. You can convert them to a TIFF file and archive your TIFF, or you can make a duplicate JPEG and treat that like a TIFF file. Archive it, set it aside, and just don't touch that one. Keep that as your pristine archive copy. Now, that's something that I did way back when, when I first started scanning, was having kind of your master file of all my JPEGs and then playing around and, and opening and closing the, the ones that were more of my editing copies. Um, but when if we were to go ahead and convert it to a TIFF, how would you recommend we do that? Is there a particular program we should use? There are several programs. The first thing you should do is look for whatever file editing or photo editing program you use. Um, it might be Photoshop Elements, or you might use iPhoto or Lightroom or Photoshop. They all have an option to convert files from one format to another. So look there. You have to look around, and it might be an export command or a convert command or save as, and figure out how your program allows you to save a TIFF or export it as, save a JPEG as a TIFF file. Exactly. Now, we've been talking kind of focused on photographs, but of course, we might have old letters or other types of writings, and we want to get those scanned as well. Do you recommend scanning those in color, even if it's black writing on white paper, or do you recommend going with black and white? I think you'll get a much nicer image if you use uh, color, and it also will allow you to pick up the variations in the paper and the ink that may help um, you read something that's difficult, if the especially if the handwriting has faded. Yeah, exactly. And I, I love the, uh, the brightness and the contrast tools that we find in our photo editing software because not only can it kind of pump up the ink if it needs to, I've actually seen on letters where you could see the indentations of something that was written on the page before. You know, isn't that, <laughs> isn't that something oh, when you yeah. see the shading? <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. It makes you feel closer to your ancestor when you see that. Exactly. So, so are we looking at the same types of, um, TIFF file for doing a, more of a archival item, even if it's a letter or a paper? 
I do. I uh, kind of across the board try to use a TIFF format, um, but I drop the resolution for handwriting and for typed um, documents. I usually drop it to 300, and that helps on a file size too. And I noticed um, it's it's actually got it marked here. It's page 111 in your new book um, is this wonderful scanning guide. Denise has this laid out in a wonderful little worksheet so that when you go to do a particular type of item, you go, you check it, you find it on the on the guide and you can follow across and she's got the recommendation for the type of file and the size of the file. Because again, you really are making the most of your storage space and you're not overdoing, but you're not underdoing. I love the fact that you've kind of laid it all out there for us. Oh, thanks. I'm I'm glad you're finding that helpful. I've got one posted above my desk too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. So it's it's not just us that can't remember all these things. Oh no. <laughs> well, Denise, thank you so much. I mean, just this alone, I know, is going to be of great help to everybody listening. And for those of you uh, who would like to get a little more into the archiving of those wonderful materials that you've been collecting. I, I cannot more highly recommend Denise's book. It's called How to Archive Family Keepsakes. Learn how to preserve family photos, memorabilia, and genealogy records. And of course, it's available through Shop Family Tree. It is um, well beyond just the digitization of photos and documents, but it's really the entire archival process. And uh, it's a big job, but you've made it a little bit easier for us. Thank you so much, Denise. Thanks, Lisa. These days, like it or not, Facebook is one of the most popular digital homes for our family history, past, even current day photos that are going to be the future family history. In today's 101 Best Website segment, Tyler Moss, Family Tree Magazine's newest online editor, is here to talk about this growing phenomenon. Hi, Tyler. Hi. Gosh, you know, if we're not already on Facebook, we certainly have friends and relatives who are on Facebook who are nagging us to get involved. And I think a, a lot of people aren't sure, why should I invest the time? Is this just something that's just going to gobble up my free time and not have any real value? Why would the, the genealogist want to be on Facebook? Well, it certainly uh, it can be a time drain, but it can be a very positive time drain, I think. Because it can be really a way to kind of sharing your family history and kind of um, creating an, an online uh, family history that could be preserved down the line, you know, digitally. Um, and that could be through things such as um, posting albums of photos on Facebook. And the beauty of Facebook is the social element. That's the the ability to share with people. And so, you know, you can take photos of a interesting trip you took to Europe to see your ancestral home or even just, you know, to Gettysburg or some historical trip you take in the United States. And you can share those. And not only can you share them, you know, you can share them with your friends and family, you know, who you choose. You can set privacy settings so it's not just like anybody can see your photos. You can pick and choose who you're sharing these with. And so that way um, you can have different people comment on your photos and you can they can kind of see where you've been. And it's a way to kind of... Um, share your life with others and to see what others have been up to, but to also 
you know, comment and, and, and kind of facilitate conversation that way through, you know, and also maintain family relationships with maybe family that you aren't close to and don't always have the time to sit and call on the phone, but can still kind of see what's going on and you, they can see what's going on in your life and you can kind of see what's going on in their life. Exactly. And, and you really touched on a really important point, which is that there are privacy settings. And I know that they've been uh, kind of gotten a little hot water about some of the privacy issues in the past. There are more settings today so that we can I think take the time up front to set who do we want to share our items with. And if we want to keep it private, we can absolutely keep it private. And I think right. that that's um, something that's really improved quite a bit. And people should really invest that time, don't you think? Absolutely. They really make it so these days you can you can put your page on lockdown. The first gate that someone has to enter to see anything of yours is for you to accept them as a friend. And you can very be very you can be incredibly picky. You could have five friends and be happy with that, you know, mm-hmm. five people that you don't see very often. Um and even people that are your friends, you have the ability to go into your settings and choose which photo albums they're able to see, which ones they aren't able to see, and how much of, you know, whether you do you want them to be able to see how what your interactions are with other people. Um, any post you even send out there, you can block people from seeing it, or you can choose specific people to see it. It's really, they really have gotten a lot, be- a lot better at kind of giving you the ability to customize these privacy settings and, and make things visible and, and still make it, you know, a positive sharing environment, but really in your control. Exactly. And, you know, you were talking about photos. I think that's such a great place to start because we all have, of course, the photos we've been busy scanning from our family history archive, and then we have our, our current day photos. And Boy, when you put that together with the sharing element of Facebook, it seems to me like it'd be a really wonderful way to maybe capture some of the interest of people in our family who are not normally interested in family history because everybody loves an interesting photograph and you can kind of start to um, feed them little bits and details and things to pique their interest, don't you think? Absolutely. I think it's definitely a way that you can kind of um, share with them in kind of a, a new and more, maybe more dynamic way than, you know, sitting them down at a family party and making them go through a photo album, <laughs> you know. It's for the generation that has a short attention span. You're able to feed them, like you said, in bits and pieces. Yeah. And then, of course, there's our modern day life, which none of us seem to have enough time to spend keeping track or recording what we're doing today because we're busy focused on the past. How does Facebook somehow turn into an archive for the future about our past. Well, really within, I think it's probably the, ba- the past year, Facebook has kind of transitioned into what they call Facebook timeline. And so the kind of the whole idea of each individual's Facebook and even corporate Facebooks these days is that your Facebook is telling your life as a story through time. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of even go in there and you create, if you wanted to, your, your birthday and you could input as much as you wanted as far as, you know, um, different historical landmarks in your life on your, on your timeline. And as you communicate with people and your interactions through Facebook are recorded in time as part of your timeline. So, you know, even now I can go back three years ago and see, you know, pictures of what I was doing, pictures of Thanksgiving from three years ago and family photos and and that sort of thing. And it's kind of like this log of of my past that's all there for me. And I didn't even have to kind of go out of my way to do it. It was filtered that way through Facebook. Can you tell me, is there any way to export that, to somehow download it so that maybe you could use it in other ways? You know, I'm not sure if Facebook has yet developed a way to, you know, print out your whole timeline as a PDF. I think over time it gets pretty massive, but I have a feeling that's definitely the direction they're going. Yeah. Um, And there's certainly apps that are um, genealogy related that might help you out 
more with that. I know one particular one is called um, We're Related, which helps families stay in touch through different things like sharing and news feeds and birthday reminders. It has mm-hmm. an online family tree function. And I know there's another of, um, uh, a number of other you know genealogy apps that really kind of help with those sort of things as well. Well, it's kind of like when we all started with blogging, there wasn't really a way to export it, and yet they've come up with uh, mechanisms for, for doing that so that you can kind of keep that history that you've helped create. Right. And it's, you know, it's evolving so fast that I can't imagine that it will be long before something along those lines comes. You know, it just, it gets to a tipping point when there's a certain demand for it. And yeah. I'm sure that's on its way. Well, it, as, as kind of frustrating as it was to make the transition to the timeline for those of us who've been on Facebook for a while, it really does actually kind of fit better into the, the genealogy paradigm in terms of thinking of our life in terms of a timeline oh, and absolutely. realizing we are creating our own family history. Right, exactly. Well, fantastic. You know, hopefully, Tyler, um, some folks who have been trying to make a decision about getting involved in Facebook and if nothing else, getting out there and, and uh, sharing the pictures of the grandbabies. I know I do that. <laughs> um, hopefully, we've demystified it a little bit. If, if you want to learn more, go to Facebook and check out the Facebook blog. You can read more about the privacy settings and those types of things to make your decision and getting involved and, and joining the genealogy conversation because there are certainly a lot of genealogists on Facebook. Tyler, thank you so much. I'm going to be talking to you again in just a few minutes in our uh, Family Tree University segment. Well, thank you so much for having me. Photography is an essential tool for genealogists, not only for capturing family memories now, but also for preserving old documents and heirlooms. Family Tree University's Digital Photography Essentials course will help you master the basics of using digital cameras, photo editing and software and scanners in your genealogy work. Here once again to tell us more about it and give us some tips from the class is Tyler Moss. Hi, Tyler. Hi, thanks for having me. Great having you here twice on the on this episode. And this time around, we're going to talk about the Digital Photography Essentials class. Um, now, I know the subtitle to that class is Techniques to Capture and Preserve Your Family History. So let's start with capturing photos because, of course, Taking current day photos is really an important part of our family history, just as as much so as working with the old photographs. What are some of the things that students are advised to kind of keep in mind as they're snapping today's memories? You know, as family historians, it is uh, just as important, you know, taking and preserving your own family history as it is rooting through your own, you know, historical photographs. And so that's really one of the elements we try to promote in the class, uh, and that's taking images of all sorts of different things that might be of relevance to you in your genealogy research or just in your everyday, you know, photo taking. Um, that includes, you know, pictures of people, um, shooting portraits. We discuss thing, um, important different aspects of, of shooting portraits, such as, you know, whether you should um, shoot a portrait in black and white to, you know, emphasize the the individual in the frame and, and kind of get rid of that distracting color or why you would shoot or or why you would want to shoot in color and kind of fill, you know, your portrait with vivid imagery and and how shooting at different perspectives can can kind of lend a dynamic energy to your photo. Um, maybe filling the frame by by moving closer than you would normally to kind of um, play with the way the 
individual that you're shooting a portrait of kind of fills that space in there, or scooting back and kind of letting the the landscape play a bigger role. Um, we also talk a lot about other things such as you know shooting structures, whether it's you know a, a church or a childhood home or an ancestral home that you're going to take a photo of. The class discusses you know techniques for shooting the exterior, such as you know getting appropriate amount of distance between you and the building you want to capture, and how to capture interesting architecture or something along those lines, as well as you know how you would take a picture of a room inside the house. You know, some of those long, narrow rooms, it's a little bit more difficult. So where do you focus the camera? That sort of thing. And even things such as, you know, in a cemetery, taking a photograph of a tombstone, how it could be helpful for you to turn off the flash so that way you don't get glare on that tombstone. Or, you know, taking photos and scanning family heirlooms. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways in which we are doing our photography. And it's interesting, before we kind of got into family history, we may have just been taking, oh, let's, this is what's going on, let's take a snap. But now it's almost more of the role of, of archivist, right? It's kind Absolutely, of the storyteller yeah. of the family uh, current day that's going to be family history in the future. That's right. That's right. You're trying to curate your family story. And that's kind of what these different, you know, not only um, the way you organize it, but it, we say the, through the way you capture it, too, can tell a different story depending on these, you know, how you photograph these different elements. Exactly. And I like what you said about that you talk about framing, because framing a photograph can really create intimacy with the subject of the photo, can't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, what you choose to include in the photo, whether it is, you know, whether a landscape has meaning, if you're taking a photo of an individual, you know, on a trip or something like that, maybe you want to remember that specific photo for the trip you're on, or whether you're taking the photo more to remember that person as they are in that point in time. Absolutely. Also, you mentioned, I think we talked about that uh, you're going to help us figure out how to choose the right digital camera, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that people don't always consider, you know. Um, sometimes you just think, you know, you want to go with whatever's um, most convenient or easiest to use or whatever's cheapest. And, and that sometimes that is a great option. But other times, you know, different cameras have different functionalities. And there's certainly ones that have some more advanced features that if, if your game can really um, give you some more... Ad- kind of neat techniques that you can apply to your photo taking. Um, some have, some these days even have elements that it can, you know, auto adjust your photo so you don't get blur if something is moving. It'll kind of help you get rid of that by having, you know, taking faster photos. And digitally, there's ways you can, you know, adjust things like the aperture, which is the amount of, you know, light that um, a photograph takes in as you take a photo. And it can, I mean, there's really a lot of fun things you can play with with digital cameras these days. And right. so depending on your level of sophistication, that could be something, you know, some genealogists would be interested in exploring further. Exactly. Well, and I think it's a, it's a great uh, use of our time because it's that current family history as well as the ones from generations back that we're all focused on. The class is Digital Photography Essentials. And as Tyler mentioned, it really digs into the specifics, answering those questions that may have been nagging you and kind of keeping you from doing more capturing of today's memories. Thanks so much, Tyler. Thank you. As we wrap up this November 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan and find out what she's got to help us digitize our family history. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, as you know, we've been talking all about different ways we might uh, get in the digital world in terms of our family history. What have you got for us that will kind of help make that job a little easier? Well, um, earlier in the podcast, um, we talked about 
about Denise Levenick's new book, How to Archive Family Keepsakes. And um, in Shop Family Tree this month, we have a special kit that features that book. And it also has some other great tools that will help with digitizing your family history. So we're calling it, appropriately enough, the ultimate digitize your family history collection. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds appropriate. Yeah. So in addition to Denise's book, um, there's a photo restoration class um, in video and an on-demand webinar on the subject, as well as that digital photography essentials class that Tyler told us about. Oh my gosh, it just wraps it all up together. And I love it because it's going to hit all the different ways we learn, whether it's reading or listening or watching or hands-on. Um, that's great because it's, it's a big job to digitize yeah, your family history. It is a big job and there's lots of different facets to it. You know, scanning is part of it. That's just one part of it. There's also what do you do with the scans once you've created them and all of those topics. So this kind of provides a comprehensive um, set of tools to help help you through that process. And it includes Denise Levenick's book, which is going to be the, the real big bonus there. Now, Denise mentioned that, you know, you can use the FlipPal to do some of your scanning. And you guys carry the FlipPal in the Shop Family Tree store, right? We sure do. I have a FlipPal and I love it. Um, it's a really a great tool to be able to go and scan things on the fly. And I love that I don't ever have to connect it to my computer. That's my favorite part of it yes. <laughs> entirely. <laughs> um, just, you know, take out that SD card, pop it in the USB stick, and I can drag and drop my folder or drag and drop my files onto any device or computer. Um, makes it really convenient. Yeah. it's And it's so lightweight. It's just amazing. And, and how it stitches some images together, because, you know, not everything is a wonderful little three by five. It's sometimes you're dealing with much bigger documents, but it really can bring them all together in one document. Exactly. And I think my other favorite thing about it is the fact that the lid comes off and that you're not just, you're not limited to just scanning flat things. So you could scan something on the wall or something that's bigger and bulkier that's maybe a little bit harder to do or or impossible to do on a flatbed scanner. Yeah. And I think it's probably a little less intimidating when you're at somebody else's home and you're not saying, let me take this off the wall. You could literally just hold the scanner up. We don't scare people away quite so quickly. (laughs) Exactly. It's an excellent tool for any genealogist to have, I think. Wonderful. So we've got the the ultimate digitize your family history kit. Of course, the flip pal scanner, which we need to do it. Anything else we need to look for? Well, there's going to be another kit relating specifically to scanning that just includes a couple of um, video elements. Um, one class with Denise on scanning and um, another class about scanning genealogy documents in specific. Um, and then we'll have a nice tip sheet on ten, um, top 10 scanning chips for genealogy that will serve as a nice quick reference. Great. Now this one, uh, this episode's coming out kind of mid-November. Will the kit be out then and what will it be called? Yes. Well, the ultimate collection, there will only be a hundred available. So make sure if you're interested to go and act fast. Um, the other one will become, the scanning kit will be coming out sometime around mid-month. And so by the time you all are listening, you should be able to go to shopfamilytree.com and find it. Great. And we'll have a link for you in the show notes. Wow, great resource. It's a perfect uh, backup to everything we've learned in today's episode. Thanks so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much 
much for joining me for this November 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You'll find it at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com and click on podcast to find the show notes for this episode. And those will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including of course, the Facebook website, the Digital Photography Essentials class, and everything else we've covered. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those shows are also available free through iTunes. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 